Welcome to today's edition of the Bible Class. Our teacher, Dr. Kenneth C. Hill, is teaching from the New Testament book of James. You may send your questions by email through our website at whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Or you may mail your questions to the Bible Class, care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Blountville, Tennessee, 37617. Here is Dr. Hill with today's lesson. Welcome to the Bible class. We're continuing with our study of the general epistle of James, and we are in chapter 2. We have been talking about partiality, James making the presentation that partiality is evil, it is sinful, it is wrong. He talks here in verses 4 and 5. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you, and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which you are called? If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin, and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. If we want to put a different spin on the phrase, where he says, are become judges of evil thoughts, we might say, full or with evil thoughts. We might say, full of evil thoughts. And that would fit in that scripture properly, just as it does. To show favoritism to the rich is wrong in many ways. Number one, it gives a credence to a value system that is false. Remember, we told you when we began our study of the epistle of James, that James was trying to draw our attention to a non-material view of life instead of a materialistic view of life. He was wanting to show us a an understanding, if you will, of the spiritual life, not the material life. And so here, James, once again, shows us that to show favoritism based upon wealth, based upon economic systems, based upon even anything else for that matter, to show favoritism of any kind, it shows the value system that one has to be false. And we see that in verse 3. And then in verse 5, we see that it fails to honor the poor. And God honors the poor. We are to honor the poor as well. And it favors those who oppress you. Why would you want to favor someone who oppresses you? And it is sin. 
it is sin to favor, to have a partiality for, to be prejudicial for or against. It is sin. Now let's look at the verses individually. Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him? The answer is yes. We can see the Sermon on the Mount. We can understand the promises that are given. And we know that the meek shall inherit the earth. We know that the poor in spirit, they're going to be blessed. We know that Christ thought much and often of the poor and took care of them and promised each one of us as the poor that we are that he would bless us. But ye have despised the poor, it says in verse 6. Not only have you had a a predisposition, a prejudice, a preference for those who are wealthy, but you've despised the poor. Now, that sort of is an opposite, and yet it's a corollary. Because if we uh, choose to uh, prefer one group or one individual over another, then we despise those that we do not prefer. It's a sad situation, but a true situation. And we put them in not only disrepute, but disrespect. And we put them at disadvantage as well. But you've despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? The answer is yes. It's the person that can afford the lawyer who files the suit. It's the person who has the money that creates the problem when they use their money against someone. And we're speaking of this in the time of James, but we can also see it in our own times as well. Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which you're called? And of course, the rich folks in Israel in this day, A.D. 45 or so, certainly did. They were blaspheming the name of Jesus Christ, the one by which these are called And so he says, why would you support that? Why would you prefer to have those people in your midst who are causing you this distress? It makes no sense at all. None, none at all. And so it is, what we find is that James is using just a rational approach here to say, why do you prefer people to be in your congregation that are not worthy of your congregation? There is no reason for this. It does not make sense. It's not a sane thing to be doing. They blaspheme Christ. Why would you want to have anything to do with those people who do that? Verse 8, If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. You'll find that in Matthew 7.12, and you'll also find it in Leviticus 19 
18 as well. And so you've got an Old Testament reference here, which also has a New Testament counterpart. But if you have respect of persons, you commit sin and are convinced or convicted, if you prefer that term, convicted, uh, of the law as transgressors. So if we find ourselves, according to James, if we find ourselves in the situation of having respect of persons, we are sinning, we are transgressors, and we're outside the law. We are not following the law as Christ would have us to follow. Verse 10, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Galatians 5.3 also points us to that very thing. So, no matter how good we are, no matter how hard we try to take care of things, if we err in one area of the law, we've transgressed in all of it because we have broken the law. Verse 11, For he that said, Do not commit adultery, said also, Do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. And so we find that if there is one thing that Christ said, one thing that God gave us, and he gave us more than one thing, but let's say he gave us one thing, then he gave us another thing, then he gave us another thing, and these are all things we are to do, and we don't do them all, then we have transgressed. Or if we do all but one, we have transgressed. We haven't done everything that God told us to do. Verse 12, So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy, that hath showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith, and have not works? Can faith save him? What a question. I want to go there, but I want to go there in just a moment. I want us to consider the proposition. Where's the prophet, brother? Though a man say he have faith and have not works, can faith save him? Can that a non-working dead spurious faith, that totally worthless faith, that dead and deceased and decrepit faith, can it save a person? I don't believe that James is implying, saying, giving us the indication that we're saved by works. I don't believe that. But he says that a faith that does not produce good works is a dead faith. James was not refuting the doctrine of justification by true faith that Paul gave us, but a perversion of that. Both Paul and James define faith as a living, productive trust in Christ. Genuine faith cannot be dead to morality or barren to works. We saw an illustration, or see an illustration, I should say, of spurious works and spurious faith in the verses that follow, in verses 15 and 16, and let's take a look. If a brother or sister be naked, that is, ill-dressed, ill-clad, 
and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and be uh, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath no works, hath not works, I should read it properly, is dead, being alone. You understand that? That's the illustration that he gives. He is on point when he gives these illustrations. That That's exactly uh, what he's giving us. And he says, if your faith is dead, if you say, be ye warm and be ye filled, but you don't do anything, where's your faith? What have you shown them? Oh, I have to be very, very careful when I'm telling people that I'm praying for them. First of all, I want to be sure that I pray for them. And then secondly, if I have some way to assist them physically, financially, I'll do that. Oftentimes I can't help them directly, but if I can, I do. Because I don't want to be one with dead faith, do you? Well, what we find is that this teaching coincides with what Paul said in Romans 4 and 5, justification is by faith. James sees two kinds of faith. He sees saving faith and professing faith, much like the use that we have today. For James, justification is by faith, but it's a faith that works. It's a faith that is genuine faith. It's a genuine, magnificent faith that shows itself in a post-conversion effort of works. And these are good works. Now, what we find, and James perhaps was countering this in his writing here, is that apparently at this time, some Jews who believed in works prior to salvation uh, to get them ready and all this sort of thing, and, and of course that was not the case. We are coming to Christ as we are. But they had, once they had come to faith in Christ, they felt that they needed to do nothing else. They did not realize that they were new creatures, uh, new creation in Christ Jesus, new creatures in Christ, and that they were new creations that would do good works. They were created for the fact of doing good works. And they missed that. And so that's what James, I believe, is trying to tell us here. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Faith by itself doesn't show any works, and you can't see it. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well, the devils also believe and tremble. But will thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? And this is one of those verses that we hold dear, and we often quote, Faith without works is dead. And so, James is trying to show us that for our faith to be seen, it has to be active. It can't be 
set upon a shelf somewhere or placed under a bushel and hidden away, but if we are to be faithful in our following of Jesus Christ, we are to have an active faith, a working faith, one that is seen. The faith must be seen. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead. Being alone, it can't be seen. If a man says, I have faith, or you have faith, is the way James puts it. If a man says, you have faith, and then he says, I have faith, and here's my works, I'll show you my faith. Now you show me your faith without your works. How do you show your faith? Is it piety only? There are many of us, I think, that would like to be in the movement of the pietists. The pietists were those that, and are those, that spent time, hours upon end, in scripture and in study. And they were looking for their piety to show forth their faith. Here, James is saying, I'm not looking for you to be pious. I'm not looking for your piety to show forth your faith. I'm looking for your works to show forth your faith. And that's what he's looking for. Verse 21. Oh, verse 20. Um, but wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Followed by verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Now, this is where the the question, as it's translated, causes some to think that James was looking for justification by works, not justification by faith. However, we find in Paul's writings, justification means to declare a sinner righteous in the sight of God. But the definition for James seems to be a little different. James uses the definition of justification to mean to vindicate or to show to be righteous before God and men. Abraham's justification in Paul's sense is recorded in Genesis 15:16. Abraham's justification in James' sense took place 30 or more years later in the patriarch's crowning act of obedience in offering Isaac in Genesis 22. By this act he proved the reality of his Genesis 15th faith. Do you catch the idea here? God saw Abraham as being justified in Genesis 15. Before any of these things happened, Abraham believed God. And it was counted unto him as righteousness, was it not? Absolutely. But James then says the vindication of that faith, the showing forth of that faith, the manifestation of that faith, was seen in Genesis 22 when he offered Isaac upon the altar. And that's where James sees Abraham justified by works, is in Genesis 22, when God accepted Abraham's faith as justifying him by faith in Genesis 15. But the works that James sees as justifying Abraham were a result of the faith that justified Abraham seven chapters earlier in Genesis. 
very interesting and something very important for us to understand that justification by works, if you want to call it that, or the view of seeing your faith by works, comes only after your faith, uh, which is given to Christ. This faith that, that stands alone, that did for Abraham, for example. And so it's important for us to realize that without faith, there are no works. There can be works without faith, but there can be no faith that does not result in works. It always happens. We'll continue in the study next time. Thank you for joining us today for this edition of the Bible Class with Dr. Kenneth C. Hill. You may reach us by email by going to our website, whcbradio.org, and sending us an email on the Contact Us link. That's whcbradio.org. If you prefer to use the Postal Service, our address is The Bible Class, WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bluntville, Tennessee, 37617. That's The Bible Class, care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bluntville, Tennessee, 37617. You may also call us at 423-878-6279. Until our next Bible Class program, we are trusting that the Lord will richly bless you as you serve Him.